Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by ESPN's college basketball reporter, Jeff Borzello. Jeff and I talk about Syracuse recruit Benny Williams, class of 2022 commit Kamari Lands, SU's other recruiting targets, and his thoughts on the state of the SU basketball program. We have a, a really great guest uh, this time around. It's Jeff Borzello of ESPN.com. Uh, esteemed college basketball writer and also handles a lot of recruiting for ESPN. Jeff, welcome to the podcast and how you doing? Well, you said I was esteemed, so I immediately am in a great mood now. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a lot of fun. We could talk a little bit about recruiting, which folks out there always want, especially Syracuse fans. They all want, they all want to know the latest about, you know, kids coming in already committed or, or you know, guys that Syracuse is still looking at. But I, we're going to get to talk about some basketball, you know, on the court too with Syracuse and the program and, and just kind of where you think the orange is headed these days. Um, but let's go ahead and let's start with recruiting. Uh, just last weekend, the Iverson Classic was held down in Memphis. Uh, Syracuse has an incoming recruit who, who participated in the game, Benny Williams, 6'8 kid out of the Washington, D.C. area. Um, what can Syracuse fans expect to see from Benny uh, next year as a freshman? Uh, he's, he's really good on the offensive end. I mean, we have him 30, uh, 30th in the ESPN 100 for his class, 6'8 forward, really athletic, good shooter, uh, both mid-range and from the perimeter. Um, I was talking to one of his, his high school coaches before he got to IMG. I was talking to him the other day, and he said that the two things that he, he thinks that Benny needs to improve on are strength and consistency. He said he's, he worked on his body a lot at IMG, added about 20 pounds of good weight. Um, and so he's, he's getting stronger. He's getting bigger. Um, he got more confident on the offensive end, more assertive with the ball in his hands. Um, so that's, that should be good for, for Syracuse fans, but, but for him, it's, it's all about consistency and, and bringing it every night. And, you know, Syracuse is going to need him. They're going to need him to play right away. They're going to need him to score right away. Um, and I think that his, the trajectory he's on over the past two or three years I think he's tracking toward a pretty impactful college career next year starting. Yeah, you're right. I think Syracuse does need him uh, with all the losses at the forward spot between Quincy Guerrier, Alan Griffin, Woody Newton, Robert Braswell. They're all gone. Uh, they brought in a couple transfers there. Cole Swider from Villanova, uh, Jimmy Bayheim from Cornell. But you would, I think if you're Syracuse, if you're a Syracuse fan, you really have to hope that Benny Williams is ready to hit the ground running. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love Cole Swatter. I, I liked him a lot coming out of high school. I thought he could be, I thought he was a pro um, just given his size and his shooting ability. Um, I thought he could play at the next level. And I still think he can, um, you know, he's, he's shown flashes during his first couple of years at, at Villanova of being someone that can create matchup problems, can make shots from the perimeter. Um, he still has, you know, obviously really good size for his position. Um, he just needs to see the floor more and he needs to buy in defensively. Um, the zone should help that some, but I, I think that Swider and, and Benny Williams, you're, com- you're two guys coming in that can both, that both have size, both can shoot it. Um, so that's an immediate offensive boost. You mentioned they lost some guys up front. I do think that Bayheim should be, um, I don't know if they're going to replace them, you know, point production to a T, but I, I do think they're pretty well, well suited up front on the offensive end. Well, we'll have to see how that hall plays out. And then of course, Jimmy Bayheim 
Um, you know, he's he, listen, I know he's not highly recruited coming out of high school. He goes to Cornell. He's he's a fourth year college player, smart kid. I think he's, you know, the, the coach of Cornell, Brian Earl, says he's completely changed as a player in four years. You know, who knows? It's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, Coach Beheim's other son uh, can do this year. And he's another guy. I mean, obviously his numbers aren't going to translate from, from the Ivy to the ACC, but he's another guy with size who can make shots from the perimeter. You know, he's not a 40% three-point shooter or anything like that. But um, you mentioned, I mean, he, he's changed his game as a freshman uh, at Cornell. I mean, he, I think he made a handful of threes. And by the time he left, I mean, he was making, you know, one or two a game at a 30-ish percent clip. You know, it's not, like I said, not – not great, but it's just another guy who can add another dimension up front. And, um, you know, Syracuse, it seemed when they were making their run in March, it was pretty much predicated on making shots, shots from the perimeter. And now they're bringing in, you know, a few guys, a few more guys at least that can help help them in that area. You know, before we move on to other recruits, since we've talked about Quincy Garrier and and Robert Braswell, Woody Newton hit the transfer portal, uh, Kadari Richmond, leave Syracuse through the portal and goes to Seton Hall. They're bringing in Swider. They're bringing in Jimmy Beheim. Syracuse is bringing in Symeer Torrance, a local kid who went to Marquette for two years. What's been your take on the transfer portal this spring? I, I know we've got over 1,500 names in there. Are we at a high watermark for the portal because of everything coming together this spring or or do you think this is the way it's going to be every year now with kids just uh, deciding to leave, uh, you know, schools and just kind of, you know, what is it? Uh, free agency every year in college basketball. Yeah. I do think that this is going to be kind of a, the peak of it. Um, it was just kind of a, a perfect storm of the NCAA giving everyone an extra year, the, the one-time transfer waiver getting passed. I think that it just, so I do think this is going to be the peak, but I also think that we're going to see the impact of this, for the next three or four years. Like, I don't think the, the granting an extra year to guys is going to be a one year. It's only going to impact next year. And that's because, you know, let's say you're a freshman and you say, all right, well, this senior is, or this junior is going to leave after next year, I'll get a bigger role. Suddenly he's going to be there another two years. And now say, maybe that freshman says, I'm going to leave now. And so now if that, or if that freshman stays now, if you're a recruit, you're going to go there and you're going to say, well, well, I don't have the role that I was going to have. I'm going to leave. And so I just think that the, the extra year of eligibility is really going to, you know, we're going to feel this for three or four years. And at some point, I think that there's going to be some group that's kind of squeezed out of this. And it might end up being high school recruits because as we've seen this spring, colleges and coaches are focused really, really heavily on the portal. Um, they're seeing guys in the portal and say, all right, well, I know what Quincy Garrier is going to do at the college level. You know, I, I know he can come in. He's already averaged, what, 14 points a game for a Sweet 16 team. Okay, so he can come to Oregon or Arizona State, wherever he ends up going, and he's going to contribute right off the bat, as opposed to Oregon saying, all right, well, I'm going to go after a high school kid. Maybe he's ranked 75th or whoever's available now. We have no idea what he's going to bring to the table. And so I, I just think that schools, I mean, I've, I've spoken to Power 5 coaches in the last few, few weeks, few months, that says, you know, I don't know the last time I talked to a high school kid, or we're not going to take high school commitments until next spring until we see, you know, how the portal shakes out. And so it's just – the recruiting is going to change pretty dramatically um, because of the one-time transfer waiver. And you kind of mentioned it, it is free agency. Um, the, the, the one thing I find kind of interesting is that one, one school told me that they're looking at their roster now in terms of almost like a restricted free agents. You know, if you bring a kid in as a transfer, he can't leave, you know, it's, he, he's stuck there. 
I mean, he could leave and he could try for a waiver or he could graduate, but once you get a guy in off transfer, you know, that's kind of the, that's the best thing you can get now because there's no really threat of him leaving again. Um, and so I found that pretty interesting. And I would, I mean, I, I don't think they're the only school looking at looking at their roster like that. Um, so I, I do think that things are going to change Syracuse. Obviously they did lose a bunch of key guys and they brought in some, like they weren't the only school to lose key players. Um, and I know Syracuse fans might think they are. And same thing with Georgia fans, but Georgia lost seven guys. And, and, you know, every school thinks that they're, they're the, the only school affected, but you know, everyone lost a bunch. I think, you know, there's, there was a stat that I think only four schools, power five schools or power six schools uh, didn't bring in a transfer uh, this spring. It was for Villanova, UConn, Stanford, and Purdue, I believe. Um, wow. And so everyone else, everyone else is relying on transfers. There's no more, there's no more stigma of, of building your roster through transfers like there was maybe a decade ago. Um, it's here to stay. I got one. In my first 15 years of covering Syracuse, Bayheim brought in three players that transferred from four year schools. Yeah. Well, so there was, this there was, year, a, he's bringing in three in right? one year. He didn't, he had three in 15 years. There was a, when, when Quincy transferred, there was somebody on, on Twitter who said, well, no one leaves Syracuse and has an impact. And I'm like, well, how many kids have left Syracuse that in the last 15 years? I mean, there's just not, there hasn't been a ton. And, you know, moving forward, there's obviously going to be three or four a year because you're going to say, you know, we, we have to, we have to reload next year. We have to bring in more guys and everyone else is doing it. So you, it's, it's an arms race and you kind of have to keep up. Well, let's go back to some high school, good old <laughs> fashioned high school recruiting. Syracuse does already have a commitment from a kid in the class of 22. Uh, they're getting on, on out, you know, out in front of this class a little early with the commitment of Kamari Lands. Um, have you seen Kamari or what can you tell us about him? Yeah, when I was in the, my little personal Final Four bubble in Indianapolis uh, for the tournament, I was watching some of the, the Geico Nationals, and he had one really solid game that I saw. I think he's 10, 10 10.7 boards, um, hit a few threes. I, I liked his length. I liked his athleticism, 6'8 wing, um, does most of his work from, from behind the arc, um, you know, not afraid to, to rise up with a hand in his face and, and take a shot or, or take a shot off a screen. Um, does have some playmaking ability, can play kind of off the bounce, playing in the lane. Um, I do like his offensive game. Uh, you know, he chose Syracuse. I, you know, I think George, Georgetown was kind of rumored for him for a while. Marquette, um, Indianapolis native, played at La Lumiere, went out west to prolific prep. But, um, you know, we have him 25th in the, in the ESPN 60 for 2022. But I do like his offensive game. It's, it's another guy that, you know, we've talked about it already. You got another guy with size who can, who can make shots. It, it seems like, um, you know, these six, seven, six, eight guys, um, that can play on the perimeter is, is really in Jim Beheim's wheelhouse right now. Yeah. They pretty much have like a, a checklist of things yeah. that go down with their forward six, eight. Yep. Long. Yep. Athletic. Yep. Wingspan. That's a good one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he fits it. He fits. I can see him in the zone, uh, yep. long arms, jumping and passing lanes, things like that. And I, I, I liked what I saw from him and I think that he's, his game is still kind of, of developing, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming he'll, he'll kind of take that next step in terms of playing off the bounce and using his size a little bit more. But, you know, 6'8", who can shoot and who could rise up over defenders, that's that's a pretty good starting spot. I want to ask you just about a couple other kids that I know Syracuse is looking at in that class. It seems like they're really trying to put together a, a, a good group. Uh, you know, one kid is uh, Kyle Filipowski. I heard a hey. little bit about this kid already. Seen some video that really yeah. made me take notice. Yeah, he, he's really creating some buzz uh, this spring. He's already ranked number 31 in our rankings, um, and I would not be surprised to see him move up those rankings. Jonathan Gavoni, 
um, our NBA draft guy, he watched him at a local event here in New York a couple of weeks ago. He came away really impressed. Um, you know, I've watched some, some synergy clips of him, versatile, 6'10", but he can handle the ball really well, really good passer, um, pretty skilled, but he's not, you know, one of those 6'10", 6'11", guys who's frail with, with no muscle. I mean, he can, he can finish through contact. He kind of absorbs contact, looks for it. Um, you know, there's, there's been a couple of plays where I was watching where he would get the ball at the top of the key or on the wing, shot fake, attack off the bounce. You don't usually see that um, from someone 6'10". Um, you know, he's, he's got some physicality and toughness um, that I didn't know he had. Uh, and I was pretty impressed by that. Um, his recruiting is um, it's really taking off and, and he's kind of moving not quickly in it, but you know, he's got official visits scheduled for Indiana, Ohio state, Syracuse, Iowa, Yukon's uh, involved. I think he's supposed to visit there at some point in the next couple of months. I've heard UCLA's involved. One school I, I think could be a sleeper for him would be Duke. Um, they've recruited his, his, uh, his AAU program before. Um, he's the type of kid who, who I could see Duke jumping in on come you know, late summer or, you know, after the, the July period or maybe early in the fall, if they miss on a couple of guys. Um, but I really like him. I think he's, he's, he's developing. And I think he's, I think his ceiling's pretty high, but I also think right now he's a, he's a very, very good player. Um, and he's a guy that, that whose stock seems to be continuing to rise. I know he, yeah, he already has the offer from Syracuse and he has official visits set up uh, up here in June. Uh, you know, another guy who's got an official visit in June up here in Syracuse is a kid by the name of Justin Taylor. Now, again, I haven't seen him in person, but I went to YouTube. I pulled up some clips, and I'm thinking, I've been told he's a six-six and he's a really good shooter. Yeah. So I think I, in my head, I think I know what I'm going to see on these clips. There's a lot of three pointers, and like the first three clips I see are he puts the ball on the floor, goes yeah. to the basket, and he's dunking on people. And I'm like, this is not at all what I expected. It's it's funny, and this doesn't doesn't apply to him. But you mentioned you you, you know you saw some clips of him. You know, that's the same as college coaches have seen. You know, they haven't seen any of these guys in person either. Um, so, so a coach referred to me, uh, referred to, to some prospects as quarantine recruits, um, guys that nobody's seen in person. They get these Zoom offers and then come come July or whenever coaches can see them, we'll see who's really uh, still interested. But, yeah, you know, like I said, th that does not apply to Justin Taylor. But uh, you mentioned it. I mean, he, he's got the reputation of being this knockdown shooter, pretty good size, excellent perimeter shooter, skilled but like you said, you watch him a little bit, watch, you know, just a couple of possessions and he's putting it on the deck. He's kind of taking guys off the dribble pull-ups. He's not just a catch and shoot guy. Um, you know, got pretty good size for the wing. He's playing with uh, team takeover on, on the grassroots circuit this spring and summer, which is a, a program that Syracuse is pretty familiar with uh, over the years. Um, you mentioned Syracuse, uh, you know, he's got the offer. He's supposed to take a visit in June, Virginia. Uh, I think he's from Charlottesville. So that'd be the hometown school. They offered in the winter. North Carolina offered in February. He's supposed to take visits to to Carolina and Virginia Tech uh, in, in June as well. So his recruitment is going to be interesting to, to see whether, you know, when Carolina kind of jumps in on a kid and the kid sets up a, a visit pretty quickly, you know, they, they might have a leg up. But um, like I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes in June and July when coaches can see these players and, and see if anyone else jumps into the mix. You know, mentioning Carolina there gives me a – we're going to go on a tangent here. We're going to move away from the recruits. There you go. Forgive me. Good segue by me then. Maybe on. I don't know. We'll see about the segue. It might just be a tangent. <laughs> uh, the, um, Roy Williams surprises a lot of people and retires at yeah. the end of this past season. On April Fool's Day, no, no less. Yeah, I know. I didn't believe it at first because it was April Fool's Day. <laughs> and, you know, Hubert Davis, former Carolina player, assistant coach under – Roy is, is the new head coach. 
is it going to be the same for Carolina? I mean, like when they jump in on a Justin Taylor, is it the same as if Roy Williams was making that phone call? Because here's the thing. I'm asking this knowing that my follow-up is going to be about Syracuse and another coach who we don't know is going to, when he's going to retire. I mean, I, th- I think Carolina itself still has that kind of cachet. Um, you know, it's still that blue blood program. You know, it, it might be the best program in college basketball. Um, I don't think Hubert, you know, when Roy Williams walks into a gym in July, heads turn, you know, he's there. Same thing with, you know, Coach K and, and Calipari. Hubert Davis will not have that same impact. I don't think. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he will not have the same sort of immediate. Everyone starts whispering, okay, you know, Hubert Davis is here. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, Roy Williams had that kind of aura about him when he walked into a gym. Um, and we've seen Hubert Davis. He's taken some guys so far that I don't know if Roy Williams would have taken. Um, you know, Justin McCoy transferred from Virginia. Um, you know, to me, he's, he was a bench piece of Virginia. I can't see him being anything more at Carolina. Um, Brady Manick, the, the transfer from Oklahoma. He's very good, but he's a stretch for the type of player that Carolina has not really used. I mean, right. Roy has kind of always used that two big lineup, you know, Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks and, and just, you know, just big jumbo lineups. And, and Manick is not like that. He's going to stay on the perimeter. So, you know, aside from the whole, does Carolina still kind of automatically get that, that jump in a, in a kid's mind when they offer, I'm also curious to see how Hubert Davis, if he changes the style, I mean, that, that too big style has kind of been in vogue at Carolina for whatever, 20 years or so. Yeah. Um, and will Hubert Davis kind of modernize that offense and maybe play with some stretch fours and, you know, multiple ball handlers, things like that. So there are things that are going to change at Carolina. Um, and, and we won't really know to see the recruiting impact of it until, you know, the early signing period or late signing period. Okay. So we, we talk about how Carolina is going to make a transition from a legend to another guy. What do you make of the situation up here at Syracuse? And, you know, Jim Beheim's 76 years old as we speak. He turned 77 in November. Shows no signs of slowing down or, or feeling like he wants to hang up the whistle. But where do you, where do you kind of see the Syracuse program vis-a-vis Beheim in retirement? Yeah, I, I do think Beheim is part of a, the group, you know, that probably includes Coach K and a couple other guys that, you know, college basketball is changing. Uh, it's changing pretty dramatically with, with name image likeness and one-time transfer waiver that, you know, guys that have been in the business for 50 years, you know, it's, they're going to either have to adjust or, or they're going to say, you know what, this is, I'm not changing for the final two years of my career. I'm just going to, I'm going to hang it up. Um, I think there are, there's a pretty good group. I was talking to somebody the other day and he said, you know, that's pretty tied into coaches. And he said, I think there's probably 10 or more power five, power six coaches that are, would be on the, the retirement watch list. Um, guys wow. that, are, that are saying, you know what, it's, you know, I'm old enough. I've, I've been around for a while and, and, you know, it's time to move on. And, and the next generation of coaches can kind of deal with name image likeness and transfers and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Beheim's obviously in that group. Um, and, and, you know, you'd probably be near the, near the top of it in terms of guys who, you know, would, would are likely to retire in sometime in the next five years. I mean, I think that's probably might be even be a, a, an overestimation. I have no idea if he's, he's thinking about it now, but it's going to be a conversation piece. Every conversation, every conversation with a recruit, it's going to come up every conversation with a transfer. It's going to come up. I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of the elephant in the room, but it has been for, for five, six, seven years now. And it, oh, it hasn't really sl- right. And it hasn't really slowed them down too much. Now I, I think that Syracuse is different than Carolina and probably Duke in terms of, I don't necessarily think they have to stay in the family 
when they do replace uh, Jim Beheim. Um, I think they could. I mean, I think Red Autry could get the job. I think, you know, Jerry McNamara could stay on. Um, you know, I think there are – Mike Hopkins is probably the the elephant in the room. You probably – you might know more about that one than I do in terms of whether he would be welcome back. Uh, you know, he hasn't really lit it up at, at Washington since his first couple of years there. Um, right. You'd probably but, like to see him have a good year or two. But yes. I think that, don't you have to if you're John Wildhack, the, the athletic director here at Syracuse, don't you have to make a phone call to Hopkins – Yes. just to make him say no before you move on? I do. I mean, I, I think that just he was he was so entrenched into what Syracuse did for so long, and he was he was considered to be – I mean, he was the coach in waiting for so long. I mean, I, I just think it's – it would be odd if – you know, assuming he does kind of not go like 7-24 and 24 again, um, you know, I, I do think that he would have to be on that list of people you call really early – in the process. Cause I do, I still think he's a good coach and he's a good recruiter and he's familiar with the area, familiar with the program, familiar with the league. Um, there's that, that kind of adjustment process will not really be there for him. He can kind of step in and keep things moving pretty quickly. And, you know, now how much does continuity matter in a, in a generation like this where rosters are changing so, so dramatically every year? I don't know, but um, I do think that, that hop would certainly be on that list. Now, if you think about guys outside the family, um, yeah, I mean, Guys that come to mind, I mean, Ed Cooley, uh, Kevin Willard, um, you know, <laughs> you, you don't seem to be overly enthused about either of those names. Um, but they, they're, they're guys that have just they're recruited both really, in North really good coaches. I just, I just don't know if, if you're Wild Hack, if you're John Wild Hack again, do you look at Ed Cooley and what he's done at Providence and really say, you know what, it's worth going outside the family and, and not – getting red Autry or Jerry McNamara. Right. No, I, I agree with you. I just yeah. don't know. I don't, I don't see it actually. No, that's fair. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the question that, that a, a lot of these schools have had. I mean, like, you know, Arizona just had a job opening and it was okay. Are they going to stay in the family? There's a look at all these candidates that they can hire and, you know, Jason Terry and Josh Pastor and, and all these guys. And then they said, you know what, let's go try it out with, with, uh, with Tommy Lloyd, the Gonzaga assistant. And, right. you know, in, Will that work out? I have no idea. I mean, I think it, it, it could, but you know, a lot, I mean, we saw this past cycle. I've seen more big schools stay within the family more than ever before. I mean, Indiana, Mike Woodson, um, you know, that's, it's a top 10 job in the country. And they, and they went for a guy with no college experience. I mean, Carolina, the best job in the country, they went with, they, they promoted from within, um, you know, and, and these are jobs that I, they could have called any number of coaches. You know, Brad Stevens might not have taken either job, but, you know, there are, there's a lot of names after Brad Stevens that you could call and that would have taken the job before, you know, you know, at Arizona, same thing. There's a number of guys they could have called that probably would have taken the job before Tommy Lloyd. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if that kind of, if that trend continues in terms of, Hey, we're going to stay inside the family. We're going to, we're going to get a guide for Indiana I think it matters more than it does for Syracuse. Um, I think that they hang on to their, uh, their, their prime era more than, more than most schools do. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think Syracuse will have options both inside and outside the family. And like you said, is, is Ed Cooley just immediately a better option than Red Autry? You know, probably not. Um, now if Ed Cooley wins 25 games the next three years, maybe we have a different conversation, but um you know, Cooley and Willard were just two names that popped in my head because they both recruited the area. They're both familiar with, um, you know, kind of the recruiting landscape. And I, I could see those two guys 
uh, you know, being in the mix, assuming they have um, success the next couple of years until Beheim steps down. Do other coaches negatively recruit against Syracuse by using Beheim's age? Um, I don't think so. Um, there's a lot of older coaches in the league. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like there's, you know, filled with 40 year olds, um, in the league, in the ACC. Yeah, Jim um, Laranaga and Leonard Hamilton can't really. <laughs> right. Coach K. I mean, these guys aren't, um, they're not, I mean, Roy Williams before he retired, um, you know, these guys aren't really going to come at, uh, Jim Bay. I'm not, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't really think that's a, that's a huge factor. I mean, I do think the question, the question probably comes up saying, Hey, you know, are you going to be here when my son graduates in four years? And, and, you know, that's a fair question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if, you know, another school has to bring up his age in order for that question to be asked. I think it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's going to come up and, you know, I did a piece last week on, on what each school sells and what each school is, is kind of hindered by and age never came up for, wow. for, for Bayheim. Um, you know, it was, it was the weather and, and the location, things like that, but you know, it's still a clearly a top five job in the league and it can recruit at a top five level in the league. Um, and when, when you consider that that group includes Duke and Carolina, um, I think Syracuse is still in a pretty good spot when it comes to recruiting. And, and, and we mentioned, I mean, the targets we've mentioned already, I mean, pretty much all of them, um, with the exception of Taylor, I think are, are ranked in the top 30, top 35, uh, in their classes and, and they've hit the transfer portal pretty heavily. So, um, it clearly hasn't really hindered them, uh, on the recruiting trail. Now, you know, like I said, we'll just kind of heat up and will the, the retirement talk, you know, heat up or get louder over the next couple of years, maybe, but you know, we, we both agreed. I mean, it's, it's been a conversation piece for six, seven years now. And, uh, and I don't think they've really taken too big of a hit. Yeah, it really is interesting. I have uh, Syracuse fans all, all the time tell me that, you know, how, uh, recruiting has taken a downturn here at Syracuse. And I'm like, really? Uh, Darius Baisley was McDonald's All-American right. and would have been here at Syracuse if he wasn't like the only high school player ever to get a million dollar internship right. at a sneaker company. Um, Benny Williams, Kamari Lands, uh, and, and the other targets they're looking at here, it doesn't seem like re recruiting's taking a downturn right now. No, I, mean, there was, there was, I mean, there was a couple of, and I wouldn't even call them missteps, but it was, um, uh, who was the point guard maybe eight years ago who left after his freshman year? Um, he, uh, uh, Tyler Ennis. Oh, you're talking about Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to me, like that's kind of the one that pops into my head is I don't think they great. expected him to be one and done. No. And so I think they bring in Caleb Joseph. They bring in Caleb Joseph say, all right, you're going to learn for a year behind Tyler Ennis. And he doesn't, he's got to be thrown into it right away. He's not ready. He's not an ACC level player immediately you know, that kind of hurts their point guard. Then, the, you know, the quad a green stuff happens and they don't get him. And so from that perspective, yeah, you could say, Oh, it took a hit, but I just think it was kind of a, just a weird kind of confluence of events at the point guard spot for a few years that, you know, maybe put them behind the eight ball, but you know, that's not really, you the know, era you're talking about is the era yeah. of the NCAA investigation and sanctions. Yeah. too. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just, you know, you can look at it and say, okay, the recruiting's taking a hit to me. Like you got to dig a little deeper and say, okay, well it was this, this, and this, this, and this, that led to it more so than, oh, there's missing on guys left and right. I mean, every school, I mean, you know, Louisville fans think their guys are missing on everyone and Carolina thinks they're missing on everyone. I mean, everyone thinks that they're missing on all their guys. It's just, it's just not really the case. I mean, sometimes the, the kid backs away. Sometimes the school backs away without saying anything because they're not going to disparage a kid that they don't want anymore. It's just, um, you know, 
you, you could probably find every school in the country besides maybe nope even Kentucky and Duke will those fans will say that they're missing on kids it's just it's kind of the way it is when this hyper uh, information age where everyone thinks they know every target that a school has um, it's just easier to kind of pick nitpick on on their recruiting ability wow no fan base better than that than Syracuse fans God love them <laughs> as, as football coach Dick McPherson used to say God love them uh, so listen, Jeff, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation, but I promised to have you out in 15 or 20 minutes and we're, we're closing in on 30. Uh, yeah. so I, I'm really pushing the limits. I speak, I, I speak, I mean, I go on tangents. I apologize. <laughs> it's been fun listening to you and, and picking your brain. I appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to let you get back to, uh, your, your one-year-old and practicing on the little miniature soccer. Those are goal definitely my one-year-old's uh, uh, balls and nets. Those are def definitely not mine. Definitely not mine. I don't, I don't use them at all. Sure. Not yours, whatever, <laughs> but, uh, go, go get some soccer goals. And I look forward to seeing you in person at a game next year. Absolutely. I'll be there. All right, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks. I want to thank Jeff for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast and follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.